Hello and welcome to Unpacking Contract Law, the UK-based contract law podcast delivering unsolicited opinions on new and old contract law cases. The purpose of these podcasts is to provide you with an insight into our thoughts, ideas and ideologies around all things contract law. It also provides us with an outlet for all our opinions, so you listen at your own peril. Each podcast will feature a new contract law case with a discussion from three contract law enthusiasts. And it is thus my great pleasure to introduce you to Maggie Hemsworth, Severine Santier, and myself, Tim Dodsworth. Welcome to Unpacking Contract Law. Welcome, dear listener. Um, This is number 16 in our series of Unpacking Contract Law podcasts. Um, And so uh, just to say, I am joined as ever by the lovely Dr. Severine Santier. I've mangled the French, but you know who she is and Dr. Tim Dodsworth, and uh, this is me, Maggie Hemsworth. And in this one, we're going to talk about Blue Sky Solutions and Be Caring Limited, and this is a High Court decision in 2021. And before we get going, thanks as uh, ever, or at least recently, uh, heartfelt thanks to Newcastle Law School, who are kindly supporting us with all the tech and the uh, difficulties and the expense of editing and so forth. So we are very grateful, as ever, to Newcastle Law School for their support. And we'll uh, mention them again uh, later on. But to get going now with this case, as I say, this is a High Court decision in 2021. Um, And I suppose the label to this podcast might be uh, the power of the signature, question mark. And that's really what we're going to be discussing, I think, as things go on. But who knows? That That's my guess. That's what we'll be arguing about, uh, stroke discussing. So uh, a little a bit of the brief facts, just so that, uh, dear listener, you are on the same page as us, more or less. So uh, Blue Sky uh, were the claimants, and they were suppliers of mobile phones and services. And they were seeking to recover a cancellation fee Uh, from the defendants, Be Caring Limited, and like its title suggests, these are providers of social care. And the contract was for the provision of 800 mobile phones over a 48-month period at a cost of £9,600 per month. Now, the basis of the claim uh, was uh, on an order form which uh, had been signed by an officer of the defendant um, uh, uh, purchaser. And the order form did not itself contain the clause which enabled the claimant to seek this cancellation fee, uh, but rather that was referred to uh, and appeared in their standard terms of trading. And those uh, trading terms were available uh, with some difficulty, but they were available on their website. Now, the cancellation charge uh, was an admin fee, or at least expressed as an admin fee, of £225 per phone, and that came to a grand total of £180,000. So rather eye-watering, I imagine, for the social care provider. Um, And they they had denied that the order form was a contract. They thought it was just a preliminary step. Uh, But the court, I think, was quite uh, easily uh, found that actually on an objective assessment, uh, this was recognised as as the contract itself. Nothing would have been done to draw their attention to this term, which looked pretty onerous at £225 per phone admin fee. Um, but the court decided that the claimant had done enough to refer generally to their terms and conditions on the website. Uh, But the key question was uh, whether uh, more had to be done in relation to this particular allegedly onerous clause. And so I suppose this is a, a, a sort of a tension, as it were, between that old case, or relatively old case, 1934, Lestrange and Graucorb, uh, as to the power of the signature. Uh, And uh, listener, you might remember that uh, Tim is particularly keen on the power of the signature. I think you you said before how how, um, forceful this is. 
And so really, this is the, the, the $6 million question, as it were, in this case, uh, whether anything particular has to be done uh, to draw a signing party's attention to this sort of clause, or whether the signature is sufficient of itself. And that 1934 case, Lestrange and Graucob, probably supports the claimant in this case in saying, well, you know, the, the signature is there, whether you read it or not, whether you bother to, to do anything other than write your name at the bottom, uh, so be it, on your head, as it were, be it, uh, and uh, you are bound by the terms, other than possibly in the extreme situation of fraud, or in later cases, we've had the idea of misrepresentation creeping in. And I think there are some other cases that suggest maybe, possibly, pressure of time and so forth. But we don't have, I don't think, a lot of clear law on that front. Or whether it is the case that some specific attention has to be drawn to this onerous clause... In other words, uh, lawyers out there might know the case into photo uh, at Lord Bingham, who created this idea of drawing attention to a particularly onerous, exorbitant, extreme. I think all of those words tend to be used, uh, whether more has to be done. But in the interphoto case, the term wasn't in a signed contract. It was referred to in uh, a document, but none of the documents were signed as such. So we've got a, a possible tension between, as I said at the beginning, the power of the signature and this idea of drawing someone's attention to onerous terms. Does that apply when you've signed the thing? So there, I, I throw it out now to Dr. Santier and Dr. Dodsworth. Do you think the uh, High Court here got it right? Because they were saying, really... I think that um, you have to read these two things together. And I suppose what they're saying is um, even though the document is signed, there may be some instances when you still have to do more than simply say, there's the signature, end of story. And I suppose there are cases that talk about terms being, quotes, buried in the thicket it's a phrase that judges have begun to use. So very small print that might appear on page 900, say, of a thousand page document. Well, I'm offering that as an extreme example, maybe. But um, I think the High Court is, is saying that uh, we can't have a false binary, I think is the phrase that they use, uh, between a document that's signed and a document that's not signed. The signature will be powerful, in many instances, very powerful. And I suppose uh, if the term is relatively uh, clear to see, uh, not complicated, not buried in a thicket, then probably the signature will be end of story. Um, but it may not be that where it's um, uh, hidden in a sense, not necessarily fraudulently, not necessarily intentionally. Nevertheless, it, it makes it very difficult for the signing party to really understand that there is this term, whether they've bothered to read it or not. And uh, that sort of reasoning assisted the defendant here, uh, be caring, to uh, avoid having to pay this £180,000. In other words, the claimant was not successful. And uh, it's uh, perhaps an open question whether a penalty argument would also alternatively have succeeded. So there it is in, in outline. So Dr. Sontier and Dodsworth, did the High Court get this one right or are you troubled by it? What do you reckon? I think it got it right, but there are some elements which are not entirely clear. So I think it got it right. And I think here, uh, Judge Davies clearly had sympathy with the defendant, as you said, Maggie. 
Sympathy won't cut it, though, will it, well, Severin? <laughs> no, but I, I think there are some, you know, they drew attention to the fact that it was a, a care provider. They drew attention to the fact that the CEO of the care provider drew attention to, my God, you know, £180,000, this is going to be a, a big gap to our budget. And so Judge Davies said, you know, I do have sympathy, but ultimately looking at it objectively that should not make any difference and yet on several occasion at some point you know they do say so even though it's either a business to business contract and objective assessment etc etc they seem to have again sympathy to uh, the defendant I mean they did uh, Judge Davies did say that what at paragraph 112 that what the claimant did was close to misrep uh, that's quite a, a powerful uh, thing to say. So I think they got it right because it is true that, you know, I like what the distinction has been drawn by um, Judge Davies. Or ju just because a term is uh, standard and well-known and it's therefore not unusual doesn't mean it's not onerous. So I think overall it got it right, but I am not entirely sure about what they say in the on the first question. Does... The does it does the order form have contractual uh, create do, does the order form create legal relation? So Judge Davies draws. Yes, I think they concluded it that did. it did because you you apply the objective approach uh, RTS flexible systems that 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 one you 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 stand back from what the party thought themselves. Yes. So the signing party didn't think it was a contract, but that's not really the question. The question is, standing back from either of those parties, would an observer conclude that that was the moment when the deal was struck? Yes. And the answer was yes. Yes. So I think it got it right, but they prob it probably would have been quicker to just talk about incorporation so yes, I think it's it got it right. Clearly, the the sympathy won. Uh, yeah, I think it got it right. You, you sound slightly uh, hesitant, unsure about them getting it right, though. What what were you uneasy about? So the only I didn't quite so at paragraphs eighty six when they draw the analogy with an intermediary, unless I mean I I didn't quite understand why they needed do that um, but no I am firmly of the belief that they got it right uh, the clause was onerous and I think it provides a good clarification on something that you mentioned Maggie about the distinction between when there is a signed contract and when there is not a signed contract and the terms are simply referred to in another um, but they seem uh, to go even a little here, bit further you know, than website, that, don't they? Because so they seem to be that, saying, yes, there is a distinction between terms that appear in the document that you sign and terms that are merely referred to in the document. Uh, and I suppose a contract, thirdly, where nobody yes. signs anything. Yes. Uh, but they're in, in, the, in the documents. But um, I think they were going further yes. still. Although I suppose strictly that's obiter, is it not? Um, if the term had appeared in the order form, as it were, the thing that was signed, so it was in that document rather than merely referred to in that document, uh, that in itself would not in all cases mean necessarily that the signature, if you like, trumps everything else. There might still be occasions when you would have to do more than present the thing for signing. So that a little bit more than we've had, I think, in the past. And of course, this is only, yes. I say only, I don't mean it disparagingly, but this is the this is High Court rather than Court in of Appeal or Supreme yes. Court. So we can't actually say, you know, that this is guaranteed to be now the law, as it were. In terms of precedent, it's it doesn't carry the necessary weight, does it? But but I, I agree with you. I think they're right. I mean, is Tim going to now argue? No, but there was this? a 
<laughs> in terms of precedent. Absolutely. Yes. Wrong, wrong, oh, wrong. Oh, you like, you like yes. the strange and Graucob, do you not? Well, so, I mean, the first... I know. Hard cases make bad law, right? That's, that's what we're <laughs> looking at here. It's, it, it, I can see how the judges have a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling looking at how they're helping no, care No, that's not fair. <laughs> that's but, not fair. That's not what happened. Well... So, I mean, there's, there's two distinct cases here, I think, that we, we need to, where I can see a certain gap potentially. But I think we need to look at why or what, what the signature is actually meant to be doing. Um, the two type of cases that we have, if we have a document that somebody signs, like in Lestrange, and all the terms are contained within there, that would be number one. And number two here, we have the terms and conditions that are implied by, uh, that are incorporated by reference but the, the contract is actually incorporated by signature. So, you know, the, there is a distinction, I think, between those cases and, and it does open up a certain door potentially. And I think the case that we might want to consider there is Ocean, Ocean Chemical Transport and Exnor, where, where the court did actually draw a distinction and particularly said, you know, if if we have certain circumstances where pressure is applied, um, where there's there's not much time, then we might be able to look beyond. And and the reasoning behind that is why I think we originally or what the signature is meant to be doing. The signature is creating the certainty that we need, particularly in business to business contracts, that the other party um, has the autonomy to either read the cases or give up that right of reading the uh, re reading the cases, reading the, the terms and conditions or giving up that right. We have the option whenever we sign something, we have the autonomy as individuals to say, you know what, I'm, I, I just don't want to read the terms and conditions. Now, what we're doing really in this case is saying, well, we want to apply the same standard here as we do to consumer contracts. Right? We want the terms to be transparent and not onerous and clear, and they should have told them beforehand. No, that's, that's, and this that's is, I'm going to right. harp back a little a, bit. No one's but, talking but about really, consumer legislation look, in this. Well, because they well, can't. No, but because we're, they we're, can't. Not, but let's, we're not trying let's, to let's apply back it by moment. analogy. But these are two, two businesses. These are two business. Well, okay. So... The reason I'm mentioning that is because, of course, if we look back at, you know, the good old days of the Unfair Contract Terms Act applying to consumer contracts, we might have been able to make an argument here that this was outside of their usual business. In other words, they may well have fallen beyond uh, within that standard. So that that would have been a way that we could have cleared it up some time ago. Right? What we can see from the way the care provider here is acting is that they had no clue how this whole process worked. This is really the case that they're trying to make is that we, we had no clue. We don't we don't usually buy mobile phone contracts. This is not what we this is not our business. We care for people. We don't we don't go out buying mobile phone contracts. We had no well, clue what, what they were doing. What about the point that the provider but, failed to comply with the code of conduct, code of practice for sales of marketing mobile phones? So that's nothing to do with the consumer, but it's it's mentioned in the judgments that um that the, the process by which they were signing this business into this contract did not actually comply with a code of practice. I mean, is that re meeting the reasonable expectations of business people to misquote Lord Stain? Wow, we've, we've, we've come quite away from the original point. but uh, No, no, we haven't, because it's your um, point about a document which is signed needs to have the degree of certainty and predictability that comes with the signature. And uh, in principle, I don't have any difficulty with that. And I'm sure Severine doesn't have any difficulty with that. But if you take what you're saying to the logical conclusion, it would enable one party to create a very long, complex document and present it for signature and so long as they don't put them immediately on the spot, sign it now, a 900-page document, uh, you're saying then there is nothing that one can say or challenge in terms of incorporation. But I'm, I'm using uh, the language of Lord Stay now. Is that the reasonable expectations of business people? So it's not looking to challenge the clause 
the term in terms of unfairness. That's the Unfair Contract Terms Act. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about purely that first question as to whether it's part of the deal at all. So just in that procedural sense, is it what reasonable business people would expect the law to be saying? Well, the question, the question is, would it, be, would it be reasonable to expect that someone who's presenting you with a 900-page document might be hiding something in the terms and conditions? You would expect that. We're a hard-nosed business. There's no requirement of good faith, as Maggie, I think you've said a number of times, in, uh, in English law. Up until the signing of the contract, we, we are um, hard-nosed negotiators. Well, what, what I've said before is that English law has no general overarching... Well, principle of good faith but what we have said previously is yes but english law is very good at responding yes, to what i would call bad they... faith in a piecemeal yeah. isolated way and that is the surgical approach which the common law takes quite different from civil codes on the continent but we, we end up possibly in the same position by by different means length. so I, I would i would say that the incorporation procedural stage does have inbuilt into it some sort of implicit good faith going on, if, if we don't balk at the use of the phrase. It's, it's the English way of doing things, that the process itself should be a reasonable one, and that's a very generalised statement. And, and what we're talking about now is the specific instance of what we mean by that. So fair notice of unusual, extreme excessive uh, clauses, for example. I'm not talking about penalties yet because that's probably a step even beyond that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, exorbitant, uh, not legitimate in any shape or form commercially. What you're seeking is to punish and frighten. That's probably even more than the sort of terms that we're talking about now. So we're not engaging penalty law but we are engaging, I think, and that's the way the High Court's approaching it, the process of incorporation. And so, you know, all I think we are arguing about at the moment, Tim, is, is how much weight the signature should carry. And I think you probably want it clearer as carrying a weight in all but the extreme circumstance, question what that means. But uh, for the interests of certainty and clarity, I think you would give, if I understand you correctly, that the signature, uh, that degree of significance that you think it justifies. So if you like, I think probably the three of us at the minute, if I sort of try and put words into Severine's mouth, I think she and I are closer to the idea of a sort of spectrum of possibility uh, and it being very fact sensitive and, uh, you know, we, we never say never, as it were. Generally, I think that's true for the common law. You never say never. There might be some instances when the signature isn't enough. And I, I offered the example of a very long document. I don't think that's even what they're saying here, though. I think I think that's that's taking another step further. What we're talking about here is if if the terms had been in the document... I don't think they would have had a ground to make the decision they made. It's it, The decision here has been made because they're trying to also incorporate the terms from the website. So we've got an incorporation by reference and incorporation by signature. So the actual document was signed and... Yes, OK, but strictly speaking, it was obiter. So high court and obiter, not ratio. Um, but I think they were saying, the judge was saying, uh, and in any event, it was at that bit of the judgment, in any event, there would be a false binary, I think that's the phrase that the judge uses, between a document which is signed and includes this term and a document that is signed but the term is on the website. That's, he's saying this is just a false, uh, it, it looks like it's a different thing, but, you know, uh, how different is it, I suppose, is what he's saying. And in many instances, not any different. But I, I, I think he's trying to say it's facts sensitive. I think, I think actually that phrase is used. Yes, I, I think, you know, we go back to the context and, you know, in the manner in which uh, it is done. I mean, to go... So, for me, the uh, important thing is 
in a way, the protection of the reasonable expectation. So, Maggie, you did draw the attention to the um, uh, to the code of conduct. For me, it's not so, you know, so therefore to go back to the question that you asked, uh, Tim, so is it a reasonable behavior by somebody to not, uh, um, so can you, can the, clay, the def defendant reasonably expect that the other party is going to procedurally respect the code of conduct? Yes. That is therefore a, a reasonable expectation, and therefore, if they haven't, that you know. But for me, the um, I think we could only say it's a factor because remember, I know, it's because a code so, of, so therefore, it's here, code of practice, know, not law, but it would be something that a court would look at, I think, is what they're saying. But therefore, here, what it seems to me that the judge has paid a, a lot more attention is to the fact that you know, they, they did say that what the claimant did. Uh, by not bringing sufficient attention to the defendant, to the content of uh, that clause or those particular clause, what it would mean, uh, you know, what would be what would be their liability uh, should they not contract and all that. And then in the same, you know, two paragraphs down, when this when they refer to this is close to misrepresentation and burying thing, this is. Uh, for me, the most uh, important thing. So, where the so you talked of spectrum. So, I perhaps what Tim was trying to say is that so in relation to you know when the UCTA applied also to uh, business and consumers, it's not so much here that you know it's not within their ordinary business to uh, sign contract because ultimately they are uh, in an area where they will be ha they will have to uh, sign contract but here it is not so much the fact that so the defendant is not in the same position as the claimant is because the claimant standard terms and conditions are well known to them and they are clearly trying to do everything in the standard form which did contain though if you sign this you know you adhere to our standard terms etc etc uh, they are trying to uh, get one on them uh, for want of a better word and so in that sense they need to be even though they are this is a b2b um uh, transaction and objectively uh, nevertheless the defendant in a spectrum since you mentioned it they are not on an equal I don't um, think that you could field. use that as part of your argument though if you were acting for the defendant here they um, no but if because we, we don't have this we don't so I, mean, I don't know French law possibly does but uh, in, in, you'll tell me in a minute uh, um, English law doesn't have this idea of unequal bargaining position no, 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 no. But what I'm saying, you know, you did, you, you, you we, we did talk about uh, the reasonable uh, expectation, and and you did mention uh, good faith. Yes, but because as you were saying, the judge says on the facts here, this comes close, but is not not pleaded as such and not proven as such misrepresentation. That's that's possibly uh, yeah. telling us that it's quite a long way down the spectrum. So I'm happy with an I'm happy with an argument around misrepresentation. I think I, I think that's exactly where we are with the B two B philosophy in, in in English contract law, which is if you know so long as you don't misrepresent, caveat emptor. So long as you're not misrepresenting, so long as you're, you're not exerting pressure in the kind of duress sense, you don't have to say anything. And and that that applies, you know. No, but that's that's a separate that's a separate parcel of law. Uh, that might be engaged on the particular facts. It's just here they did not have enough to allege that. Obviously, they would have done uh, in the alternative. They would have uh, just like they had a penalty argument as an alternative uh, uh, possible running uh, argument, as it were. So you, you, you claim or you defend on whatever and as many grounds as you possibly can. It's, it's just here they did not have enough for that sort of claim. But the, as Severine says, the judge actually notes that this is um, close to that, uh, but not, not that. 
but that also distinguishes so again that that to me that would have been or oh, that's an argument that i think english law would is much better placed to take in comparison to removing the certainty that the signature would normally provide to b2b parties right the the limit for english law is you, you don't have to say anything but if you do you've got to make sure that there's no misrepresentation and and you're not pressuring the other parties well, that there is a worry, isn't there? There should be a worry, certainly for English law, that if we had a very stark, simple rule that says if a contract is signed, end of argument, we would have some creative people with expensive lawyers uh, crafting long, complicated uh, documents to bury things in the thicket. I use that phrase that the judges use. Uh, and would try and use this clarity and certain simple rule that, that you're advocating for, Tim, as a way of um, exercising bad faith. And if I use that, that phrase, English laws are happy with that. I think it's just this overarching sweeping statement, good faith. So it's an instance of sharp practice, I would say, and clever lawyering. And should we have a, a contract law that uh, permits that uh, to be so? And I think this case is along the road to sort of give a warning sign to the commercial practices that no, you, you can't rely on that sort of degree. But we of have certainty. to say that this case is the very first that, case. Uh, to, to shut out the policing. But this is the law. first case that has ever gone so far. I don't think we see any other cases. I'm not aware of any other cases that have pushed the boundaries so far. So, so, so far, we have had just that rule. And so far, I am fairly sure that there are businesses out there that use just that practice. You know, and that's why we always say in business to business contracts, you know, you could have got legal advice. I mean, the, the general position, I think, in English law is you, you just should have known better. You know, if you get a 900 page document that someone asks you to sign then A, you should assume that that is probably a contract, and, and B, you should probably get your lawyer to read it. And, and that has been the stance in English contract law right up until this case. I don't think there's any argument. I mean, even Ocean Chemical Transport that says, you know, there are exceptions to it, limits those exceptions so much. I mean, it's time pressure, you know, is, is basically what they're saying. It would, would be the only real exception to that. So we have to acknowledge with this case, this case is... So are you saying this, are you saying this case is wrong then, that, that yes. it, it went too far? Yes, I think, I think that and, certainty okay. and, and yeah. is, is fundamentally important. Now, if we want to approach this, you, you were saying earlier on, we don't have this idea of um, unequal bargaining power and so on. Well, we do have that in section... So in, in Schedule 2, um, which we get to by, by Section 11 of the Unfair Contract Terms Act, um, which will apply to those provisions when... Yes, but it's that's on a different question, though, isn't it? This is the incorporation question. And, and what you're advocating, therefore, would place all the loads would have to be carried, as it were, by the Unfair Contract so Terms Act. Right, if we're talking about onerous and unusual terms, even Interphoto, well, I, 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 Interphoto why, why was, really, it, was really working towards, yes. you know, an unfair contract. You know, it was it was a way, well, the idea of incorporation back in the day was a way of, of, of dealing with unfair terms. Right. You know, Thornton and Shoe Lane Parking, all of these kind of cases were all leading up to, well, actually, what we need is an unfair contract terms. Yeah, so, so you're you're advocating that there is now no need for the common law to concern itself. Uh, and all the load can be carried by the unfair contract terms act. The common law, you know, get out of this argument as to now you're misrepresenting my argument, aren't you? Um, that that is a that was a well, gross misrepresentation. Yeah, that, that's, almost no, that's what you're saying. A 900-page document on your head, be it. You should get legal advice, and if you don't, absolutely. In, in in that circumstance, yes, I think in in the in the case where the person signs the document. Now, I am willing to move on the fact that I, I do think so. One of the arguments the judge makes is there's no difference between um, the two cases I was mentioning earlier on. One being the reference to the terms on the website, and the other in in the document. It's I think there is a difference. 
I think there actually is a difference between the two cases, um, and and we have to accept that there is a difference. One is the document is right in front of you. You decided not to read it, whereas the reference to the website is a whole whole different um, thing. It's not just incorporation; it's also the adequacy uh, of uh, notice. And you know, interphoto is clear to me, even if the terms had been in the in the order form would it have passed you know the adequacy of notice absolutely because you make a choice right when you when when someone presents you with a document says you've got to sign it this is a contract you make the choice you can either read the document or you or you, or you don't and that and the choice is given to you that autonomy is given to you by the signature the other person doesn't have to sit there and that that was part of the reason of having the rule was that the other party doesn't have to sit there and say right let's read through every single term on But this document see, the whole point of having the signature was that you could give up that right of having to read it you can skim it you can do whatever the other party doesn't have to take you through the terms and conditions And then we found out that actually, okay, consumers do this habitually and that therefore we need certain terms that need to be regulated and the same applies for the Unfair Contract Terms Act that does the same. There's a good justification. But ultimately, if those don't kick in, if the terms are considered fair and the other party has presented you with a document that you sign, that signature is evidence that you made the choice either to read it or not. And they made the choice here. They didn't read it. We have no evidence that they ever accessed The website. No, I think it. I think it's made clear that they. Yeah, but that, that's. I mean, that, you know, t t a business who doesn't read the other person's terms and conditions. What were you expecting? But it was accessible. They. Yes. Yeah, and yes. again, so so then then the argument. So, but that is a different point. That's that's. I mean, that's that's the. That, so, the judge could have found. Okay, they were misrepresented. Yeah, but they didn't access the website, remember, because they didn't think mm -hmm. they didn't think this was the contract. Yes, Which is a but, different but, legal but ground. Are, yes, but you are saying yeah, you made a conscious choice not to read their terms. I'm just explaining why why they hadn't. It wasn't um, because they had. Yes, all right, no. but it, it's yeah, uh, they thought it was, it was not a... that they made this choice not to read the yes. terms and to sign the, and agree to the terms come what may. They did not think that they were entering into a contract. So there, there is an explanation for it, whether you like that explanation or not. But factually, it's not someone just turning their mind away from it willfully. Quite, quite. So that, but, but then that doesn't need to be solved by being an onerous, unusual term. Right, that that is a different issue, right? The, the, so if we had asked them, had you known that this was a that, was, that this was a contract that you were signing, would you have read the terms and conditions? And they would have said, yes, of course we would. Well, in that case, the rule is working, right? The problem was not that the terms were onerous and unusual. The, the the problem was that they didn't know that that was a contractual document. So well, the law doesn't have say, to fix. That's, that's a set. That's a separate point. That's, that's what I'm the saying. Problem. Yeah, but the problem in this case was the nature of the term. Had no, the problem in this case was that they didn't that they didn't read the terms and conditions because they thought it wasn't a contract. Really, at the heart of it, that that's the problem. That may be how it's come about factually, but legally, the point of the case is whether this term is unusual and uh, excessive and oppressive, or to use the sort of language that Lord Bingham might have used, if it meets that sort of requirement, the, the question, and the only question really, is uh, whether the fact that you signed the contract and chose not to read the terms, uh, whether that makes any difference in terms of the obligation of the claimant. Did the claimant have any obligation at all by presenting this thing for signature? And you're saying uh, they had no obligation by presenting the document. So, so your answer would be, even if it was buried in a thicket in complicated language which no one could easily understand, that would still be okay, would it? In terms of Quite. incorporation, because it's a business, because it's a business to business. Fairness. I mean, yes, business to business. You see, that's that's a you know that's a that that I think is the is the key point though, is that this is a business to business contract where we where we really make a big difference, 
Um, and the big the big difference is that we don't have requirements of transparency. We don't have requirements to 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 you know of of terms being able to be reviewed for fairness. You know, so long as they're not core terms. All of those requirements don't exist because we're saying, well, business to business needs to be able to do well, what they well, want to we do. do. We do have some policing, but it's at a different stage of yeah, the analysis, yeah. as it were, because you you are accept that you have to accept because it's statute. The Unfair Contract Terms Act uh, gives a mechanism for challenging terms. Equally, uh, misrepresentation gives the ability to challenge the whole damn thing. Um, and separately, the idea of penalty. Uh, you know, you can't get out of that either because that's a, an aspect of public policy. So all you're saying is that those would be your only line of arguments. That is the Unfair Contract Terms Act, if it applies to the particular contract, and separately, public policy and um, this idea of penalty. I think that's, I that's think probably be... the, the point of difference between... Uh, us at the moment and I think Severine is nearer to me are you not than I, I don't know maybe he's persuaded you uh, down, down his road as it were but I think there was enough nodding of the head that I think Severine <laughs> has completely come over to my side. The nodding of the head was <laughs> okay. with Maggie I don't mind being isolated I don't mind being isolated on my own <laughs> Do you know who's not isolated on their own? Ah, that'll be Newcastle Law School and their LLM. Excellent, we're getting there. See, we're getting I, there. I've we're learned getting... something. I have learned something. Newcastle Law School is now offering a brand new LLM in emerging technologies and the law. Find out how law, economics, politics and society intersect in a digital world. Visit ncl.ac.uk to find out more. And thank you, Newcastle Law School, for sponsoring Unpacking Contract Law. Um, on that interlude, I've got two quite interesting facts. I don't know if you you picked this up. Um, did you see in this case that the judge refers yes. to Good Life Foods yes. and Hall Fire Protection? Yes. Which is one of the cases that yes. talk about Interphoto. A, a, a small, vaguely interesting and not terribly relevant legal <laughs> bit of information that I noticed is that the judge here in Blue Sky um, sat in first instance uh, in the Good Life Foods Limited case. Yes, oh, I'm so glad I wasn't the only one that, who picked that up. That's a, that. that's a beautiful self-referencing. <laughs> Isn't that what you're meant to do in every textbook? Well, obviously can remember that case. That's fair enough, isn't it? All right, I'll, interesting. I'll try you with another, I think, more interesting little fact. Uh, I know you're very keen on Lestrange and Graucorp, Tim, because actually you are the you are the big hero of, of that case, I think. Um, if you look at that, you will see that Lord Denning was counsel, I think, for the cigarette machine that didn't work very well or at all. Because if you look at it, representation, it says A.T. Denning, which is, I think, Alfred there Thompson Denning. Many. So no, the, I so did not know that. Go. I did not pick that and up. He became known mm. as Tom Denning, but his first name was really Alfred, I think. And this is 1934. And I think he became a judge within about three or four years of that case, actually. But there he was arguing, just as you are arguing, Tim, my love. So there you are. You're, you're in excellent company. I at am, least I, am I in... would say as at 1934. <laughs> <laughs> With, with, Sometimes I feel with, like uh, that, Lord that age, Denning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you are. That, that's a <laughs> well. Blast. I'm in good company. I will take that. Yeah, yeah, I will take that be, any yeah. day of Usually the week. Usually in great company if you're in uh, the same mind as Lord Denning, for heaven's sake. I mean, except of course he was paid for that quite handsomely yes, to be I in that camp rather than. I mean, that's. Um, we have to agree and disagree, I think, on this one because uh, you, I think, you would see the power of the signature as as being game over, and and, and I'm and I'm uneasy with that. Would we still think this if we had, say, two large commercial players, you know, say an accountancy firm and a law firm or something like that, you know? battling it out over their terms and conditions and and the same happened i, d I don't think we would i d i'm not saying that the 
But you see, the difference is that they didn't battle it out. They, when when the, the, the defendants signed the order form, they didn't try to tell, no, we want our terms and conditions to prevail. So for me, that is, you know, if if the scenario that you are putting forward is, you know, a, a battle of the form, that would be different. But here it was just they hadn't understood Indeed. I mean, you're right, Tim. I would agree that ultimately, you know, it is Should a case Shouldn't of, have spent £180,000. You know, sh- should we have signed that? You know, should we have not read that? You know, but ultimately, for me, it's still um, the, the fact that um, incorporation and uh, adequacy uh, of notice and the discrepancy that uh, was untangled from uh, whether the position of uh, Bates or the position of uh, Dubai uh, is needs to be untangled. For me, that is the interesting point. Uh, and so maybe they could have gone even uh, further. So for me, that's why they got it right. They are hinting at the fact that uh, you know, so clearly it is now clear that, you know, if there is a signed contract, if there is uh, no signed contract. So for me here, that's why it is uh, the right uh, decision. There was no, there was no adequacy. Or th- 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 the yeah, I, th- I think that could d- well be one of the issues the here. Lead. And uh, I, I do wonder whether really at the heart of it, the problem is that these terms were on the website. Yes, right, I mean, that, this that's, was a, this, that's this, the point that makes perhaps your argument on this particular case not that strong, in a sense, because the, the term d- didn't appear like uh, um, the contract that, that Mrs Lestrange signed. It didn't appear in, in, in the order form. form itself. It's a step removed from I think, that. Maggie, you, were, you, you, you glitched out in that moment where I was saying that those, those two cases, I think we do need to distinguish the, 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 the case of here's the contractual document, right? Sit down and read it and sign it. And there's all the terms in it versus, you know, I'm making, I'm making a reference to a website somewhere that the terms and conditions are on. Now sign the document that makes reference to it. Well, this is this is only the point that the judge made about this false yeah. binary. But I don't think there is a false binary. I think yes. I think they. Are... Well, in some instances, that they might be quite different. But you know, it's so fact sensitive that I think it's. I think that's what they're saying too. It, it would be very difficult to say in every single case yes. these are different in nature because of the variety and in, in ways in which people will craft their their paperwork yes so we can't i said the phrase before we, we you know never say never as it were it just makes it much harder i think if you were the defendant here to argue that insufficient had been given if the term had appeared on that piece of paper the order form that was signed and the fact that they didn't realize what they were signing is really not really relevant at that for that point as it were although the the not really realizing i think is you know if we look at the case you know just as a an outsider and we look at this case the real issue was that they had no clue and and probably were as close as we can get misled that that this wasn't a contract and I think really that's where the law needed to needed to act. This was this was not a problem of the terms being onerous as such. I, I I really don't think that was actually at the heart of the problem. Although that's the only way the judge could find the answer that they wanted to get. Well, they to. were onerous because yes, they, it was found to be onerous because when they looked at the figures, it was eight something like eight times. The the actual administrative, yeah, but that's cost a penalty then. Cancelling. Well, that that would be a different. Yeah, but exactly, argument. that's that's what, what, is that. Well, we didn't get that far. That's why I say that's a different argument. So we can't say for certain, but but quite likely, uh, yes, they would have succeeded on the penalty point. But we they didn't need to go that far. But the eight times uh, the amount and was there to frighten. I think that's the phrase that is used there to frighten someone uh, not to cancel. 
um, probably meant that this was a penalty, but we can only say probably because no one actually went that far. It was not necessary to go that far it in, was in, not the, a, in yes. the argument. All these were yeah. obiter. But also, they didn't actually define the legitimate interest yeah. properly, I don't think. I mean, that could have been... It didn't need fully it. engaged with. Yeah. It wasn't necessary to no. make life even no. more complex. <laughs> this was not a particularly good judgment, if I may say. Well, that's a bit harsh. Um, the, that's a bit I, harsh. I, <laughs> Okay, how can I water that down? How can I say that? I've said it now, hasn't it? It's yes, recorded. Just Davies um, <laughs> will not be listening that's, anymore. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think I think Judge Davies has better things to do than. Uh, well, to I, I to would our defend podcast. him. I, th- I thought he, he he did that pretty well. I don't know what Severin thinks. I I I would agree uh, with this. I mean, it it for me the. You know, when, when, when he starts by uh, saying that he's got sympathy, but it has no impact. I mean, it was said that, you know, the CEO didn't quite understand uh, what uh, she was doing uh, when she, uh, of the effect of signing the form. Uh, and yet afterwards, so there is, you know, that should have no impact. So I think in a way that was a, a you know, he tried to use the law to salvage uh, the situation but ultimately it but it but is it the sort of thing you know I've never sat as a judge but is it the sort of thing that a first instance judge would take care to say to remove a possible line of attack for an appeal to make it clear that sympathies are not relevant here you have my sympathy but it's not relevant yeah, legally, to the no, decision it's, okay yeah no I hadn't thought about to, it to avoid someone saying as you are implying yeah. it was from yeah. a sympathy judgment no, but in a way from the that is a way that has no impact but I'm going to try to find a way and for me that is a that is a, a very persuasive uh, judgment because it is um the clause was onerous and so yes maybe there were you know it is just a good thing that the clauses was not in the form but for me that is the right decision and the right outcome yeah i think i agree <laughs> i like the outcome but i do not like how we got there i think this the, the okay. abuse of the, the this this quite important i think device in business transactions it's it, it's a really dangerous approach to start watering it down. You know, the certainty no, that we had as, before. You mean the power of the signature? Yes. As, You're talking about the yes. power of the signature. But as Ligad said in Yamseng, there is a spectrum of commercial transactions, of B2B transactions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Wow. Uh, and, and, and you can see here that the term wasn't in the document signed. And can, can you can we not convince you that far? Tim, yes, that, 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 that's that, that, that is a bit different. The that fact I that it is not with. in itself is an indication and nor did they try to get, um, you know, to explain. I mean, the liability of not contracting was quite drastic. You mean the, the, the cancellation? The cancellation, thing. sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If we can ignore the obiter statement that this might happen, this should have the same effect if it were in the actual signed document, then I might be closer to being convinced that this <laughs> might be a good decision. But okay. that statement <laughs> is pushing it way too far, I think. I, I do think there is there is a need for a regime for which we had before and which we lost in the Consumer Rights Act, for businesses that are clearly out of proportion. You know, if, if we look at this one, a care provider, you know, this was being run by a couple of people, um, you know, who didn't read the terms and conditions, who didn't even know this was a contract. You know, these were not hard-nosed business people. The the, the could be or should be a, a regime for, and I think this has, had been, this has been advocated by many others, for SMEs. Um, right, small, medium-sized enterprises. They they need a separate regime to, you know, the the large accountancy firms, the large firms that we see nowadays that have you know millions to throw out legal advice and so on and so forth, who need okay, but the but in the absence of that, you would accept, wouldn't you, that the common law does its best to uh, adjust to the variety of businesses that's out there. Can we put it? Yes, but that could have been done differently here. 
it, we didn't have to erode one of such a fundamental right misrepresentation that that would have been a great ground you know if if they could have found something there it, you know we could have even stretched the idea of misrepresentation a little bit i would have been happy with that um i just don't think that incorporation was issue even even to the point that you know you know an argument that actually they they thought they were signing something completely different and they had no idea fair enough that would have worked for me you know there was just no contract um rather than going down the incorporation route yeah so here they referred to the dubai case where they say the 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 signature uh you know if they sign the contract it's only uh invalid in the most extreme circumstances or unusual yeah but what do they mean know. by that well, yeah, what, what's so, extreme because so this doesn't yeah, sound extreme to me i know so therefore would we convince you that this if they had if the judge had gone down no that doesn't work because it was not there but Sorry, you see it, the you know. most extreme the most onerous terms are probably going to be penalty clauses in which case we have a device to deal with that we don't need to erosion uh, yes, certainty of but, the signature uh, okay but the, this is the sort of uh, sliding scale as it were isn't it there are terms that are unusual and excessive and exorbitant and that may not be the same thing as a penalty a penalty is possibly worse than that mm -hmm. yes and given how uh, small that little area of law is this penalty idea because you you mentioned Mac Desi case that wasn't found to be a penalty no uh, no there well there was a legitimate to, interest going, right that, yeah yeah okay so so it's going to be even harder to get through the gateway as it were that's yes. labeled penalty, penalty than it is to get through the gateway that's labeled unusual and excessive what i'm trying to say is it's a sliding scale and these are different things and so therefore the argument is is different i don't think you're going to convince me on this one <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the, the trouble with Dubai, as Severine says, Dubai 925 and NatWest, yes. if anyone's wondering what case that is, uh, when it talks about only in extreme cases will it be possible to say that the document signed does not incorporate the terms whether read or not. But what the heck do you mean by extreme cases? Yes, okay, misrepresentation, but as Tim would say, but we've got another branch of law that can tackle that anyway, so it's probably not that. So what you know, what are we talking yes. about, therefore? We're possibly talking about what Lord Mance said in possibly one of the cases that you've mentioned. I think it was he that opined this idea of being put under extreme pressure to sign, you know, sign here, you've got to sign now, the deal's done now, or it's not at all, that sort of thing. Uh, is that is that what is meant by extreme cases? Is there nothing else that is meant by extreme cases? It's it you know you talk about certainty and predictability, Tom, as being uh, Tim as being a, the sort of hallmark Tom, of the common law. I'm Tom, Tom now, standing <laughs> on the mind now. Well, you're you're uh, kindred spirits. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, well you know You've what do you from mean Denning by extreme? Well, yeah, what ah. do you mean by extreme circumstances? That's what's so difficult. That, that's you you like certainty and predictability from the signature so what do you mean by extreme cases i don't think i would have the extreme cases either um so you don't like dubai 925 yes. limited either <laughs> no not particularly no i think that was another watering right. down um along the okay. way i think i think that's uh, where it started yeah, and we have to also accept man, isn't they? I think what I take from this is that Tim Dodsworth wishes it was 1934. <laughs> well, what a conclusion. What a conclusion. Actually, I've just noticed that is definitely going in the text of, yes. uh, of Let our... Let us our, take our... The, the world back to 1934. <laughs> oh, that is... That, well, you've just, you've just made it a lot easier to describe this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ah yes, that that was easy. That's, I don't that's... think we're I don't think we're going to wear him down. I think that's as we've done as much damage to Doctor Dodsworth as we possibly can in this. One. I think I, I think even I am going to accept defeat on this. One. Wow, wow! I'm going. I think I should take that as some sort of win. Although I've not convinced you. Um, I, I know. I was going to say. No, you you know, we 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 still we still in the yeah we're still in the in the majority. 
That's yeah, it. You yeah, know, I suppose. You're a minority, you know, okay. out of three. So if this was the Court of Appeal, Severine, in Blue Sky Solutions and Be Caring yeah. Limited. We are in the majority. And there yeah. you go. Yeah. But I do want to note that both Dubai and, and Blue Sky are both just high court decisions. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, this, yeah, there is no, the there's and no so, no real so, evidence so, that this is going yeah. to. This is no. actually, and, so and is I May. think that will, that that yeah. would happen. I, th- yes. I don't yes. think yes, the Supreme first Court. First instance at the moment. You're quite right. You're quite right. Um, and I think that the principle is too important to be, you know, knocked over <laughs> by a little case like this. Yeah, yeah, right. But even okay. if this is this is just a, a high court decision, we still have talked about it for over an hour. So, yes, thank you. There was you, certainly Mr. something there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, all good, clean fun. If our listeners do have questions or suggestions for cases that we should listen to, do email us on unpacking.contract.law at gmail.com. We're happy to discuss cases that you think are interesting as well not just that we think are interesting and with that we're thanking the dear listener or listeners (laughs) for their kind attention Uh, and and hear you see you next time rather they don't they don't see us they hear us next time possibly no we haven't got any video recordings yet (laughs) probably just as well (laughs) i think i think yes i think that'll just be a disappointment for everyone bye bye